good morning to uh, what I'm gonna call the righteous remnants, those of you left over here from Labor Day weekend. Uh, if you ever question my or Corey Shutnik's love for you, this time yesterday we were in the cool pines of Flagstaff, Arizona, enjoying 77 degree weather and the cool breeze. We hopped in our car, drove down the hill, and there were still tens of thousands of cars at three o'clock Saturday afternoon headed up north. So thank you guys for being here. It's a real blessing to be with you guys. Uh, I'm excited about teaching you guys the word this morning, but before we do that, as Neil introduced me, I am the pastor of men's and marriage ministry. So I have a very quick announcement to all of you men in the room and to those of you as couples as well. Uh, Matthew 28, 19, maybe the most famous passage in all of Matthew, Jesus gathers his disciples together right before he's to ascend into heaven, and he gets them all close, and he goes, here's what I want you guys to do. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. He gathers his guys together and goes, hey, what I just did for you the last three and a half years, go be that to somebody else. And so here's my challenge to you as men. If I were to come up to you right after this service and ask you, who are your disciples? Can you give me names of men you are intentionally discipling right now? And if the answer is no, here's my challenge for you. Next week, we start a training process to train you up, to equip you and prepare you to go out and to make disciples of other men. Because guys, there are, a, there are plenty of young men, next generation growing up in this church that have no idea what a godly father looks like, what a godly husband looks like, what it looks like to live their life for God in and out of this world. And what they need is not us to come sit them down and tell them everything we know, but what they need is someone to put their arm around them and encourage them and walk this life with them, this journey with them. So if you're a man in this room, come join me next week at 11 o'clock over in the A building. We're gonna train you up, equip you, prepare you to send you out to go do that, to go live out what Jesus commanded his men to do, the same thing I think he's challenging us to do here at this church. If you're a couple, if you're, if you're a woman, there's opportunities to do this inside a women's ministry. Go talk to Jessica and Neil. Lots of opportunities to do that as well. But if you're a couple in here and you wanna, you wanna come alongside of our young couples in the church that are just learning what it's like to be married, trying to figure out this whole marriage thing, and you just wanna put your arms around them and go, hey, let's do this together. I didn't challenge you guys. Come at nine o'clock. We're gonna have couples training at nine, men's training at 11. Great opportunity for you guys to kind of usher in this new generation of men's and marriage ministry here at Scottsdale Bible Church. Is that cool? There's my men's and marriage ministry announcement, all right? Let me, uh, let me pray for us, and then we'll jump into our, our word today. God, thank you for the privilege of getting to be here. God, as Troy mentioned, as Neil talked, God, it's just a blessing to be in your presence, to be able to worship you in this place. God, not only through song, not only through our giving back to you, but God, even as we study your word, God, we just wanna worship you and praise you, and God, it's been my heart and my prayer that, that we would change from the inside. This would be an, an internal change, God, not just outward appearance, as you're gonna tell us in a second, but God, internally we would change. It would be motivated to live our life with meaning because of what you're doing in our hearts. So God, we ask that, we ask that of you because we know only you can do that. So show up this morning, do that in our lives today, and we'll give you all the praise and glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, before we jump into our text today, let me welcome all of you at the Cactus Campus and all of you over with my normal people where I'm at over in the venue, all of you guys over in Grace Chapel and all of you that are watching online. Thank you for joining us here this morning. Here's my question for all of us. Can you remember back to a time when you were five, six, seven, eight years old? See if you can relate to this story with me. As a young man, a seven-year-old, uh, I had a little brother. He's bigger than me now, but at the time, I could still take him in a fight. So we would always get into arguments, didn't matter what it was video games, playing basketball, just hanging out, and he would just eh, 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 push buttons, quit it, eh, eh, stop it, eh, eh. 
bam, right? The fight would ensue. We'd be wrestling around on the ground, all sorts of chaos would be going, stuff would be getting knocked over, and all of a sudden, my mom would come flying into the room, and she is a little bitty lady. She would grab us both by the arm, she'd pick us up, and she'd go, that's it, I've had it. Go to your rooms. And then the most horrifying words a seven-year-old young man could hear from his mother would come out of her mouth. Wait until your father gets home. Oh my gosh, I'll be honest with you, never was my relationship with the Lord closer than on those days. I was just on my knees praying, God, please let my dad close every deal at work today. I pray that he would hit every green light, let his favorite song come on the radio as he pulls in the driveway. Pray his right arm's still a little sore, he's gotta use his left, like anything I could do to help me get through this process because I was terrified of what was about to take place. He would walk in the door and my mom would say, your children. When mom doesn't claim you as, their, as your child anymore, you know you're in trouble. And so down the hall he would come, the punishment would ensue. And for those next couple of months, me and my brother, we were on our best behavior because we were a little bit afraid of dad's punishment coming back. Fear is a healthy motivator. Can't be the only motivator though. I'm 38 years old now. I'm not afraid that my dad's gonna come up here and give me a spanking anymore. Now I'm motivated by a whole different set of things. If you were here last week, you heard Jamie go on, on this road of, we've gotta get out of the mundane we can't be fixated on the material, and we've gotta find meaning and value and purpose in life. And if you're anything like me, you left here last week going, yes, that's it. Meaning in life, that's what I want. I'm gonna go out and live my life with meaning. And you will yourself to do it, and you get to Shay in the 101, and somebody cuts you off, and you're like, ah, forget it, and your flesh comes out. So what motivates us to live a life of meaning? What's gonna motivate us to keep going when we, when we get in those moments where our flesh is battling us? How can we continue to stay motivated to live our lives with meaning? I'm gonna give you four motivators I think Paul is gonna give us from 2 Corinthians chapter five. I'm gonna give them to you up front. So all of you type A's, just fill out your notes now. You feel good about yourself. You've accomplished something. Here we go. The first one is this, that we would live life with an eternal perspective that we would have an eternal perspective. As you heard Troy just talk about, that we would live life with our eyes fixated on eternity and we wouldn't get tripped up in the mundane and the trivial and the things of this world, but that we live with an internal perspective. Second one is this, that we would live with a healthy fear of the Lord. That we would have a healthy fear of the Lord. We're gonna talk about this in a second. Some of your eyes are gonna be open to a truth that maybe you didn't know before, but dad's coming home. And we're gonna be held accountable for what we've done. That should create in us a little bit of a healthy fear of the Lord. Third one is this, that the love of Christ would control us. Those are God, that's the word Paul's gonna use, that the love of Christ would control us. Are we spurred on by this gospel message? Does it control our lives so that we go out and live our life with meaning because we're so in love with Jesus Christ? And then the last one is this, that we'd be motivated by a love for others. That we'd be motivated by a love for others, that we would take what we hear in this place, what we get to worship God each and every week doing, and we would take that out into the world, and as you heard Jamie say, we'd get God, we'd get real, and we'd get out there and impact the world with the gospel. So those are the motivators we're gonna talk about today. If you have your Bibles, flip open to 2 Corinthians chapter five. We're gonna be in 2 Corinthians all day today, so hopefully you guys brought your Bibles. If you need one, there should be some in the chairs right around you, but we're just gonna do old-fashioned Bible study today, so I hope you guys are excited about that. We're gonna pick it up in chapter four, verse 16, just to kind of get some context and see how Paul kicks this whole thing off. So if you would, join me chapter four, verse 16 of 2 Corinthians. He starts here. So we do not lose heart, 
Though our outer self is wasting away, we all get that, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. You get what he's saying here? He's saying, look, we don't get consumed by the things that are this, he calls it this light momentary affliction. This stuff going on around us, that that would not be what our eyes are fixated on, but that we'd fix our eyes on eternity, this eternal hope beyond all comparison. I don't know if your life is anything like mine, but when things are going really well with me and God, my eyes are fixed on him and we're good. But all of a sudden something wells up down here, this light momentary affliction, and my eyes glance down and wait, wait a minute. And I become consumed by the stuff around me. Things that really I can't control, but I wanna control them, and so I get filled with worry and anxiety, and I begin to stress out about all of this stuff, and I begin to lose a little bit of hope. I need to be reminded, hey, get your eyes back on eternity, because right now, not forever, but eternity is coming. We have our eyes fixed on eternity. We have an eternal perspective. Does it motivate how we live our lives? It should. We shouldn't focus on the things that are transient. We should be fixated on our eternal perspective in Jesus Christ and all the hope that we have. We're gonna talk more about that in just a second. Here's my best illustration I could give you to point this out. Uh, about 10 years ago, we took my oldest two daughters, they were seven and five at the time, to Disneyland. Just the perfect time to take them to Disneyland. I was taking Cinderella and Belle. They're all decked out in their dresses, they had their little tiaras on. We pull into the Disneyland parking lot, we park in the Mickey and Friends parking lot, we take the little escalator down, we hop on the tram. The guy's voice, hello, welcome to Disneyland. Hola, buen bonitos Disneyland, right? And we hop on the tram and off we go. And it's Disney, everything Disney does, they do with excellence. So even the back roads of Disneyland are awesome. There's trees that are shaped like animals and the music's playing. And we pull up to Disneyland. Downtown Disney's right here. You can see the gates of Disneyland over here, the little train going over top. You can see Mickey's face and all the plants and flowers right there. You can hear the music. Everyone piles off the tram and my daughter just puts her hand on my, on my leg and goes, Daddy, can we ride this ride again? <laughs> and I just looked at my sweet baby girl and I went, oh my gosh. If you only knew the fun, the glory, the wonder, the awe that awaits you beyond those gates, you could not wait to get off this tram like everyone else that just got in line ahead of us and we would be up there. <laughs> but you think this is fun, wait till you get in there. Guys, some of us were that way. We're riding the tram just around the parking lot and God's got eternity waiting for us. This eternal place that, we, that he just wants to go, look, be blessed by this. Be excited for this, live with this in mind. It's why Jesus in John 14 would look at his guys, they're all discouraged. He just told them, hey, one of you's gonna betray me, I'm gonna be killed, and they're all disheartened. Jesus says, don't lose heart. I'm going to prepare a place for you. In my Father's house, there are many rooms. If I go prepare a place for you, I'm gonna come back and get you. He's trying to encourage them in their discouragement on eternity, by eternity. We should be motivated by an eternal perspective. Do we have hope? We're gonna hear in a second, we have a hope that this world can't offer, that this world doesn't have, and it's eternity. Be motivated by an eternal perspective. Here he goes, chapter five, verse one. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home, that's our body, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. There's a tension here, right? We long to be with the eternity, but we're still here on earth because God's not done with us yet. 
If indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked, for while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we be unclothed, but that we be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the spirit as a guarantee. Circle that word guarantee. Let me, let me key off on that a little bit. It's the same word he uses in Ephesians 1 when it talks about you receive the Holy Spirit as a guarantee. Here's what I need us to get before we get to verse 10. If you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, here's what I mean by that. You've identified the fact that you're a sinner, you're not perfect. And you believe Jesus Christ was the son of God, that he died on a cross for your sins and he was raised three days later. Then you've placed your faith in Christ. You are now guaranteed eternity because of what God has done in your life. This is what Tom Schrader tells us over and over and over again, right? You are good because of what God did, not because of what you do. So this whole theology mindset out there of like, if, you're good, if your good outweighs your bad at the end of all things, then you're in, and if your bad outweighs the good, then you're out. That's, that's just not true. If you've placed your faith in Christ, you are guaranteed eternity. That should give us courage. It gave Paul courage. Look what he says in the very next verse. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in this body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Here it is again. We aren't consumed by the stuff around us. That's sight. That's transient stuff. Don't be consumed by this light momentary affliction. Here's what Paul is not saying, though, and here's what I hope you don't hear me saying. The stuff you're going through, relationship stuff, financial stuff, health stuff, I'm not saying it's not a big deal. It's a huge deal. It's real stuff. James calls those trials of many kinds, and they're real for all of us. They're a big deal, but they are not forever. They're not eternal. One day you're gonna be welcomed into the presence of God forever. That should give us hope. That should motivate us to go live a life of meaning. We should be encouraged by that. Here we go, verse eight. So we are of good courage. We'd rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord, verse nine. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. We make it our goal, our ambition to please the Lord. You wanna know what the meaning of life is? That's it. Live your life to please the Lord. God wrote a book several years ago, made a bunch of money, essentially saying this. You know what the purpose of life is? Bring glory and honor to your heavenly father. Go live your life to please the Lord. That's the meaning Jamie talks about, that we would live our life to please God, that we'd make it our aim, our goal, our ambition to please the Lord. So here's the question I've had to ask myself that I will ask you. If you look at the last week of your life, let's just take the last week, have you made it your goal, your ambition to please the Lord? Has it been your goal to please the Lord? I'd love to get up here and tell you mine was, I did it. There were plenty of times where I made it my goal, my ambition to please myself. Or even right now, to please you. There's a part of me that really wants to do really well, so you guys go, oh, he, he did great, and to please you. But ultimately, what I need to get to the point of live my life to please the Lord and the Lord alone. Because he's the only one that matters in the end, right? Do you make it your goal? Do you make it your ambition to please the Lord? That's the purpose of life. Here's our second motivator, fear of the Lord. Catch this in verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Huh. 
we're all gonna appear before the judgment seat of Christ. This isn't heaven or hell judgment. This is, we're before our heavenly Father. We're in the family of God because we're guaranteed through the Holy Spirit, but we're gonna give an account for our life. We're gonna be rewarded, read 1 Corinthians 3, we're gonna be rewarded for the good that we've done. What those are, I don't know, but I can tell you this, God's giving them to you, they're gonna be awesome. They're gonna be great, and they're gonna be eternal. You're gonna be rewarded for the good, but we're also gonna re receive something for the evil that we've done. Uh-oh, this is, this is a little bit of dad's coming home. This should well up in some of us a certain healthy sense of fear. Because there's been times in my life where I've kind of abused the grace of God. Maybe you're like me. Hey, God's gonna forgive me, so here I go. God, forgive me, thanks. Hey, God, forgive me, thanks, and just keep going. I'm forgiven, absolutely I'm forgiven. Will I get heaven? Absolutely I will, because I have the Spirit as a guarantee. But there's still gonna be a moment where I kneel before my Savior, and I'm gonna be held accountable for what I've done. That should well up a certain sense of fear. 1 John 2, 28 says, abide in Christ so that when he appears, we may not shrink back in shame at his coming. There might be some of us, when Jesus comes back, we don't hear, well done, good and faithful servant, but our heads kind of drop and we don't make eye contact because we haven't been living our life to please him. I don't know where you're at in this room, but this should be a motivator on some level. Should well up a certain healthy sense of fear. Now, here's what I need you guys to get and understand. I've done a lot of dumb things growing up. Uh, I stole money from my very first job. Got caught, got fired. Boss called my dad on my way home. My dad sat me down. I've never seen him more angry, never seen him more disappointed, never seen him more upset with me. I mean, he punished me to the furthest extent of the law. Everything was taken from me. I, I had nothing left. I was basically, I mean, I was locked down in my room. That's all I could do. As angry, as disappointed, as frustrated as my dad was at me in that moment, never once for a second did I question whether or not I was still a part of the family or whether or not I was still loved by my father. I knew both of those things for sure. But I still felt the full weight of his punishment. Guys, that's what I think this is talking about. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that should well up in us a certain sense of fear. It did for Paul, look at verse 11. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We're not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what's in the heart. Guys, it's all about the heart. If you leave here today and you just go, I'm gonna go live this out in my flesh, and it's all outward stuff, I'm gonna read my Bible more, I'm gonna pray more, I'm gonna do all these things and check all these boxes, and you totally missed it. This is an internal change. This is us recognizing this is a heart change. Surrendering our lives over to Jesus and going, I'm gonna live with eternity in mind because you're gonna reward me and you're gonna hold me accountable, an internal change going on. Just here we go, verse 14. This is where we get the statement, the love of Christ. For the love of Christ controls us because we've concluded this, that one has died, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live, here it is again, a restatement of our purpose, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him for who, for their sake, died and was raised. You wanna know, the, again, the meaning of life? Live your life, make it your goal, your ambition to please the Lord. Live your life for the one that died for you. Live your life for the one that died for you. That's essentially what Paul's saying here. That you would live your life to please your heavenly Father and for the one that died for you. Guys, that's meaning of life. You can't get there in your flesh. 
You can't go will yourself to do this. You've gotta be like Paul and be controlled by the love of Christ. To be controlled by the love of Christ. So here's the question again I ask myself. What's controlling you? What's controlling your actions this last couple of weeks? Are you controlled by the love? Are you so in love with the gospel? Are you so blown away by the grace of Jesus Christ that you can't help but go live your life to please him because you're overwhelmed by that? And that's what this is talking about. That the love of Christ would control you. Again, total transparency, honesty up here. There's plenty of times where I'm controlled by the love of Kevin. I'm controlled by the love of myself. I'll make decisions based on what's easiest or best for me. That's not what he's asking us to do here. He's asking us to be controlled by our love of Christ because we're so overwhelmed by the gospel. So here's my challenge to you. If this gospel message, if this hope of Jesus Christ, if, if the fact that Jesus has died for you and come back and that you've got eternity waiting for you and he's forgiven you now, if all of that is just kind of like, yeah, what else you got? I've heard that before. You know what you need to do the rest of this morning? Just check out, put your head in your hands and just pray the same prayer David prayed in Psalm 51. God, would you restore to me the joy of your salvation? Would you restore to me the joy of your salvation? Because as soon as the gospel becomes commonplace or falls on a callous heart, Satan has won a great victory in your life. And this internal change will never happen. You'll just keep trying to do outward stuff and make yourself look good. We gotta be impacted by the gospel. The love of Christ should Changes. Listen to what Paul says. He's gonna give us another huge part of this love of Christ controlling us in verse 17, verse 16. From now on, therefore, we regard, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Pull out your pens, highlight this one. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if you're a believer, if you're a child of God, if you are guaranteed by the Holy Spirit, if you are in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Guys, this is incredible truth. You are a new creation in Jesus Christ. The love of Christ should control us because we are now a new creation in Christ. My brother, Rustin Rossello, stood up here a couple of weeks ago and looked you all in the eye and said, look, I'm a recovering alcoholic. And that is true for his life here on earth. But my heavenly father is not looking down at Rustin going, there's Rustin Rossello, my recovering alcoholic son. He looks down at Rustin and goes, that is my beloved child. He's a new creation in Christ. The old has gone, the new has come. He is no longer defined by his past. Guys, the same is true for us. That should, incur that should motivate us. That should spur, that should, I mean, if we're just here, that should at least make it boop, boop, go up a little bit in our excitement level for what Jesus has done. You're not defined by your past. Everything that, that you've done, God, God has forgiven you. You are now a new creation in Christ. Does that move the needle at all? Does that allow the love of Christ to control us? Here's a question I have for you. Any of you guys ever been given something? Somebody's done something for you? You've been gifted something that you, you, you get it and you just go, there's, I, I, can't, I can't thank you. I can't repay you. There's nothing I could do to say thanks enough for what you've just given me. Anyone relate to this? I've got six kids. Uh, from 16 down to 20 months old, okay? They're all over the map. And uh, I'm a pastor, which means I'm on a limited budget. There is a family in Wisconsin, a husband and a wife, that just love my family. Why, I don't know. They're not related to us. They're just friends. They have a huge house on a lake. Every summer, they invite us to come out there. They just open their home to us. 
You walk out of their back, back door, there's a grassy field and then, a, and then a lake. Boats, jet boats, paddle boards, kayaks. I mean, anything you can imagine you'd want to do on a lake, they have it. This guy says, hey, let's go eat at the country club. Let's go play golf at the country club. Let me feed you. Let me host you. Let me do anything I can for you. And all of a sudden, my kids are experiencing something they would never get to experience if this man wasn't generous and hospitable to do that for us. Man, my kids have memories for the last eight years that they will have for the rest of their lives because of this man's hospitality. There's not a time that I don't get on the plane to fly back from Wisconsin that I don't just sit there and go, God, how do I ever, how do I thank this man? How do I repay this man for what he's gifted my family? I can't think of anything, but I'll tell you this. If he called me up at 3.30 in the morning on a Tuesday, said, can you come help me move a couch? I'd be there by 3.45. He lives a half hour away, right? I mean, I'd be there as fast as I possibly could. Anything you want, I will do it because you've given so much for me. Guys, that is light, momentary, it's not affliction, but it's light, momentary stuff that he's gifted me. It's temporary, transient stuff. That's not eternal. I've got a heavenly father that's gifted me eternity with him forever, in his presence, welcomed in and rewarded for the good that I've done. Forgiven now for all the stuff that I've done and I'm a new creation in Jesus Christ. How could I not be motivated to go live my life to please him? How could I not just wanna go, God, I will do anything for you because you've done so much for me. Guys, this is what it means to understand the gospel, to live this out, to be controlled by the love of Christ. Maybe for you, you just need to spend the rest of this time just thinking about that. What controls me to go live my life that way? Let's get to our last one. This love for others, verse 18. All this is from God. That's how he wraps up 17. All this is from God. Here's what I need us to get on that real quick before we jump into it. Uh, this new creation stuff, this grace covering you stuff, this is a gift from God. This is not you doing it. Sometimes we like to take pride. If you're like me, you take pride in certain things you've overcome. You're like, look what I did. No, that's God. That's God doing it in you. Let's give glory where it's deserved to God. Amen? Here we go, verse 18. All this is from God, through, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us, underline this, the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Underline those two. We've been given a ministry of reconciliation and a message of reconciliation. That's what we've been given because of what Jesus has done for us. So then he would say this in verse 20, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. You, if you're a believer in this room, you have eternity waiting for you. Be motivated by that. Be fixated on that. Be encouraged by that. Be motivated by that hope. You have a father that's coming back. Be held accountable for your actions. Be so controlled by the love of Christ that you would get out there and share the hope of Jesus with the world, that you would take this ministry of reconciliation and share it with the world. Can we do that? Are we doing that? Here's what this looks like. You know what God's asking you to do when he talks about this ministry of reconciliation? He's asking you to go out and brag on Jesus. Go brag on Jesus. Any of you guys remember parent-teacher conferences? Like I said, I have six kids. I remember them all too well. We walked into one of my parent-teacher conferences, and my kids are all over the map as far as how they do well in school, uh, grade-wise. 
walk into the parent-teacher conference. Teacher's got all the tests and charts, and here's where your kid stacks up on everything laid out all over this desk. And she has me come sit down. Mr. Ewell, come have a seat in those little tiny kid chairs. I don't know, intimidation move, I guess. I don't know. So here I sit, squatting down in this little chair. She's got all this stuff out there, and I know uh, this is not gonna be pretty because this particular child didn't thrive well in school. And she's got it all, and she's a little flustered, and she goes, hey, before we get to any of this, can I just tell you what a joy it is to have your child in my class? They love the kids around them in a way that I've never seen before. They are encouraging, they're encouraging to them, they are helpful to them. They go out of their way to make other people around them better. And I haven't seen that very often in children. I just wanna thank you for the privilege of letting me teach your kid. I'll be honest with you. I could care less what those test scores said at that moment, okay? I just, I just won. My kid could fail everything there is to fail. We'll get to math later, okay? Two plus two, we can handle that later. If you love people, man, that's a victory in my kid's life. Here's why I share that, not to brag on my own kid, but you know what that does in me as a dad? That welled up so much pride in me. Not in a, not in a bad way. I, don't, I mean, we have to confess that later, God. We'll deal with it, but... That welled up in me a sense of pride and encouragement. I left that room just going, oh, God, thank you. All she did was brag on my kid to me. What do you think it does in God's heart when his children go out and brag on Jesus Christ to the world? You talk about living out meaning, living a life with purpose, go brag on Jesus Christ. Now, here's what I'm not asking you to do. Don't go take your friend a coffee, sit him down and go, hey, my pastor said I need to talk to you about Jesus. So... <laughs> I'm here to talk to you about Jesus, right? No, that's not all what I'm talking about. Here's what this looks like, though, that you'd be so controlled by the love of Christ, that you'd be overwhelmed by eternity, that you'd be overwhelmed by the fact that your Father's gonna bless you and gift you things based on how you live this life, that you would go out and someone would say, hey, how you doing? Man, let me tell you how awesome I am doing today. I am a new creation in Christ. God has forgiven me, he's gifted me, he's blessed me, and I, I'm blown away by the grace of Jesus Christ. Have that conversation and blow somebody out of the water. Whoa, whoa, that's not what I, I just respecting a good and keep going. No, let me tell you about Jesus and let me brag on my savior for a little bit. Guys, here's what being a messenger of reconciliation looks like. It's about going out and telling the world all about Jesus Christ. You know what we've gotten a little bit good at that we maybe need to pull back the reins? We've gotten pretty good at telling everybody what we're against. Let's get a lot better about telling people what we're for and what we are in love with about Jesus Christ. Let's take that message out there. You wanna get God, get real, and get out there? Go brag on Jesus Christ this week to somebody. Go tell them about the incredible hope that you have in Christ. That's what I think God would be calling all of us to do. Well, let's wrap this up. Last verse, verse 21. For our sake, this is the gospel message. We've talked a lot about the gospel. We've talked a lot about Jesus. If you're in this room and you, this whole Jesus thing is new to you, let me read to you the gospel and I'll share it to you this way. For our sake, yours and mine, he made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. Guys, this is beautiful truth. This is a perfect savior becoming sin for you and me, for all the stuff that we've done so that we would be made right before God, not based on what we did, but every, totally based on what Jesus Christ did. If you've never placed your faith in Christ and you wanna do that today, come talk to me. Come talk to one of our other people that are gonna be up front. We would love to share the hope of Jesus Christ 
with you, to give you this eternal hope that you can have. But for all of us in here, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, here's what I need us to get. This eternal perspective that we have, there's a world dying out there that does not have that. Their world is consumed by light momentary affliction because it's all they know. Their eyes are fixed down here because they have no understanding of eternal hope. What they need is for us to get out there and share the hope of Jesus with them. What they need is somebody to have the courage to go out and brag on God's kid, share the hope of Christ. So let me do this. Let me have you guys bow your head, close your eyes. I'll leave you with just a couple of things to think about quietly, then I'll pray, and we're gonna celebrate communion together. And what better time to celebrate communion than just to remember what Jesus did for us on the cross. But I wanna give you some time just to sit and process some of this stuff, just quietly, right where you're at. If this is weird for you, it's only a couple minutes, I'm sorry. But with your head bowed and your eyes closed, here's what I wanna ask you. We're pulling ourselves from the mundane. We're not gonna be consumed by the material. We wanna find meaning and purpose and value in this life, pleasing the Lord. What's your motivation? What drives you to do what you do? Are you impacted at all by eternity? Maybe if you are, you just need to sit and thank God for that. Maybe this whole fear of the Lord thing is new to you and you've been abusing God's grace for quite a while and you just need to stop and repent and own it and say, God, I'm changing this morning. For all of us, man, my hope and my prayer is is that we would live our lives controlled by the love of Christ because we are so overwhelmed by his gospel and maybe for you, you just need to stop for a second and think about that. And then finally, the last one, maybe somebody's face is popping in your head right now that you just need to go brag on Jesus to. Maybe you would just take this week and you just pray for right now for God to give you an opportunity to do that. I'm gonna give you a second just to think about those four things and then I'll pray for us and then we'll celebrate communion together. God, your word is such a blessing, such a gift. God, we're so grateful for it. Thank you for the message you send us, God, that we are, we are new creations in Christ, that we are not defined by our past. God, the hope that that wells up in me, God, I pray that you would help me grab onto your cross every single day, that day by day I would be renewed because I'm so in love with you. And God, you know it's not my, that's not my heart every day, so I need you to remind me of that every day. Remind me of how much I need you and how dependent upon you I am. So God, I would go out and live my life in love with you. God, I pray the same prayer for so many people in this room. God, that you would well up in our hearts, God, such a joy and a love and a passion for you that we could not help but go share the hope of Jesus with the world that so desperately, desperately needs it. Give us an opportunity this week. God, I pray even in the next couple of days to go brag on your son to somebody. God, regardless of the results, that we would just get out there and we would share a message of reconciliation to a world that desperately needs it. God, that's my prayer for myself. It's my prayer for these men and women in this room here as well. God, let us go live a life of meaning with an aim and our goal to please you. And I just pray all of this in Jesus' name, amen.